What's going on, guys? It is Matt, and you are listening to another episode of Composer Code. Um, I had a really great guest on the show today. I was honored to speak with Darren Korb, um, who is the talented composer for Supergiant Games. If you've ever played the indie hits Bastion, Transistor, um, Hades, Pyre, He made all the music for that, and he brings a really unique folk sensibility, um, similar to my my previous guest, Daniel Kessner, to his video game music, and he's one of the few people on the planet that that can write lyrical songs that you sing for video games that aren't totally cheesy, um, which is a very, very difficult skill, Um, and he's just a super nice, humble guy. We talked about his process, how he got involved in Supergiant Games, kind of where he starts um, when he writes a song, all the way to his favorite Beatles album and why. Uh, We talked about the Beatles for quite some time. Um, So I want to introduce you to Darren Korb, and I want to introduce our conversation. But before I do, uh, I just want to let you know to stick around for the end of this podcast because I have some news to share about the future of Composer Code and what I'll be working on uh, going forward. I'll save that for later though, so that'll be at the end of the show. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Darren Korb. So I think uh, as a little kid, I started doing musical theater. Uh, that was my first participation in music, I think, really. Um, and so I grew up singing. Uh, from probably when I was like four or five. And then uh, when I was about 11, I took up guitar and kind of got the songwriting bug and uh, and started doing that and playing in bands and stuff. And uh, I got really into recording in high school. Um, and once I discovered recording, I sort of knew, okay, this is, I really like this. This is, this is the thing I really want to do. Um, so I, I pursued that, um, pretty hard and, uh, I studied it a little bit in, in college. I, I did, I interned in some recording studios. Um, and so I, I knew I wanted to do something involving music. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I wanted to just be able to make music for, uh, for what I did for my job, uh, somehow. So I was doing like, you know, kind of hired musician-y stuff in New York. I was producing a little bit for some other artists. I was writing songs. I, you know, just was kind of doing whatever I could. I did a, a couple, I did a song for a little independent movie one time, you know, a couple of little things here and there. And then my longtime buddy, uh, Amir Rao, who was co-founding Supergiant, he asked me to, to kind of come on board and do all the audio for Bastion just because he, Cause he thought I could based on our, you know, creative collaborations we'd done in the past and stuff. We were in bands and, and all that for years. So, um, uh, so that's it. Yeah. That's, I just kind of fell, fell into it and I didn't, um, I didn't have an ambition to, to be a composer for games. Cause I just didn't really understand that that was a job a human person could have as their job. <laughs> and so, um, I was excited as soon as he asked me, I was like, oh yeah, of course I want to do that. That sounds great. Um, and I, I wasn't really positive whether or not I'd be able to do it, but he, he thought I could. So that, that helped me, uh, uh, have the confidence to give it a shot. 
You mentioned that recording was the aha moment for you in high school. What about the recording process was so magical for you or appealing? I think it's, it's the way in which it's sort of a, both a technical and creative process and it sort of stimulates my entire brain all at the same time. And it's really, it's a really, um, it's really, really enjoyable for me just to sort of, it's sort of a combination of problem solving and technical, like using your sort of technical knowledge to solve problems. And then of course the sort of creative music making aspect of it. Um, and so the, the combination of those things is really, uh, really stimulating for me. The big, I really was into those first two Weezer albums, um, a, a ton and, uh, and this band called Ozma is sort of like a, like a disciple of, of early Weezer. They, 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 they did some really fun, um, stuff sort of in, in a similar vein, but, but extrapolating out more on that and having, um, and having like, uh, Casio tones at the side of stuff on top of it. It's really, really fun. And then they might be giants and, and people like that. I grew up listening to, um, but yeah, as far as like my songwriting stuff that I was doing in high school, it was more, um, yeah, it was more sort of, I guess, along the lines of built to spill Weezer kind of stuff like, uh, you know, alternative rock. And then sort of later high school, I started, you know, it was more, it became more singer songwritery as I like listened to like Coldplay and stuff. Shamefully, I, I admit that I, <laughs> that I was, uh, you know, in, into that sort of thing at the time. And I, and I, um, so I wrote, wrote some, some tunes that were a little more acoustic uh, focused and, and, um, sort of prettier. What is your process for writing songs? Do you usually start with lyrics, music, a combination of the two. It, it really depends. Um, on the, on the particular song, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing something instrumental, it'll begin with, you know, I would say that the thing that is the same is that I always begin when I'm writing something for a game with tone and sort of what's the objective emotionally and tonally, like, where do I, how do I want it to feel? And that's the sort of principal question that I'll ask myself when I'm starting something is, you know, what should this feel like? And from there, depending on, you know, what, what I'm, you know, what ideas I might have to try and express that tone and express that feeling. I'll just pursue whatever that is. Sometimes it's a, it's a melody and sometimes there's like a sort of a syllabic implication. If it's a thing with lyrics, um, that I'll pursue Sometimes it's, you know, chord changes. Sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, it's a vibe. It's a, like a, a, uh, you know, drum part. It's, you know, some, something like that. So, so it's not, um, I think generally though, it starts with noodling on some sort of stringed instrument that is guitar shaped <laughs> more or less, you know, mandolin or guitar or well, you know, I'm, I've been playing a lot of like Balama and Bazooki and stuff like that for, for Hades and, you know, just different, um, uh, you know, anything I can sort of noodle on. A lot of it comes from just experimenting that way. So uh, you will definitely go down in history as one of the few people in video games who can write lyrics to video game music that is that is not cheesy. Do you have any advice for how to fuse those two worlds without it being too on the nose or cheesy? I try to m- approach lyrics for games from a, a perspective of the world and characters in the world. And so I'm trying to write something from a specific perspective. Um, so 
just sort of by the nature of that, it doesn't make sense for the lyrics to be so on the nose, if that makes sense to like what's happening. I mean, you know, and then sometimes it walks a line, right? Sometimes like in, um, you know, in Bastion, it's a very different kind of song writing lyrically than it is in say Pyre where in Bastion it's these sort of folk songs that existed in the world before the events of the game. And there, and in Pyre, it's sort of characters in the game world singing about the events of the, of the game, you know? So, um, so it's sort of a tricky uh, line to walk, but, I, but I think, you know, trying to communicate what you want to say in a way that isn't too on the nose is a real, you know, that's sort of the, the thing, right? That's the trick of, of writing lyrics I find is, is sort of finding a sort of poetic way to say what you want to say that is satisfying, uh, emotionally because of what the words are themselves and how they work with the melody, how they, you know, how they sound when you sing them, uh, all that stuff. It's sort of a real, it's a real tricky, <laughs> tricky, tricky thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, so so I, I'm I'm conscious of that. I have a real uh, sensitive uh, cheesometer, uh, I think, when it comes to that stuff. So so um, so I try to, if it you know if it doesn't trigger my cheesometer theoretically, then it's uh, maybe it's not cheesy, you know, because I've got a got a got a real sensitive one. It's yeah, it's important to have. Um, when you think about uh, Pyre Transistor and Bastion, is there one of the songs where, say, you had a you had a mood, like you mentioned, you had a tone that you set for mm-hmm. the song, and the song just sort of fl- like flowed out of you, it came very naturally? Is there one that comes to mind that was just sort of a joy to write? Yeah, um, I think uh, Mother I'm Here was really was I think pretty quick. Uh, a pretty quick one to write because that one was, I knew I wanted it to feel like a funeral song, like a sort of something, something that you might sing at a funeral and to be sort of mournful because I knew, you know, how the moment in which we were going to use it in the game was this sort of, we wanted it to be this sort of impactful emotional moment where you're sort of carrying Zolf, you know, dudes are, you're kind of sacrificing yourself to, to, to bring Zolf to safety, even though he betrayed you. And you know, it's sort of like a, you're making a choice. You have a choice to not do that also. Um, so I, we knew we wanted it to have some heft. So, so that one, you know, I sort of act, used the sort of what I knew about the game world and, and, and the different gods and the, you know, and all, and the perspective that these characters might have. And, to try to write a sort of in-world funeral song was my, was my, my goal with that one. And that, yeah, that one came pretty quickly, I think, although it was a long time ago now, so I'm not, I don't quite remember, but, (laughs) but, um, super clearly, but, but that one was pretty fast. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, on, uh, Transistor, there's one that actually wasn't in the game that I wrote just for the soundtrack called Signals. Um, and that one was super fast. That one just like, I just sort of knew, knew what I wanted to do with that one. It just kind of came out. Um, on the other hand, stuff like, you know, the spine, I spent a million iterations just trying to get it right. And, and, uh, you know, uh, we all become, I, I ended up writing in half of it, you know, all at once pretty quickly. And then the other half I wrote like months and months later and, you know, (laughs) so there's all, all different ways that everything comes together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those are some, some examples. 
So are you the type of artist that needs a deadline in order to stay productive? Like your mind is constantly wandering to other things, or are you the type of artist that just constantly has these, these music, these melodies in your mind that you need to get out on the page or in the computer from your guitar? I think it's more the, the former, you know, I, I, I think the deadlines really help me produce things because, you know, I, I enjoy having a finished thing, but I enjoy the process or just, I, you know, I'm happy to just sort of mess around forever, you know, and never call something done. Um, so I think I really appreciate the deadlines and the sort of objective of having a thing that's complete that can be utilized. Um, that's really, for me, that's really nice one of the really nice things about working on game music and, and because there's always a specific objective for each thing, you know, I, I feel like it's harder to write something with no constraints and no time limit than it is for for me, at least than it is to write something with a deadline. Even if it's a fairly tight deadline, it's still preferable to me to to none at all. Gary Scheiman, when I interviewed him on the podcast said that deadlines are the most inspiring thing to him. (laughs) Absolutely. They are very inspiring. Yeah. You have no choice but to be inspired. That's right. So you mentioned uh, as singer songwriters are want to do, you often start your songs on the guitar. Do you ever find yourself going straight to the DAW, maybe playing around with some synth patches or anything like that? Or is it almost always start on your guitar or a guitar shaped instrument? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely go to the the DAW. Um, you know, you know, early, early on, on and, and, and even sometimes, sometimes when I'm doing a guitar, guitar, it'll be directly into, you know, through amps and stuff in, 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 in software. software. Um, um, and and <laughs> once, once I figure out what the tempo, tempo of the track, track is, is, a lot of times I'll sort of put together a, a rhythm loop instead of a click, you know, because I prefer that that feels right because I prefer that for playing to to a click if I can if I can get something just sort of quickly together that, that that's more representative of what the feel is going to be like. It's sort of much easier to play to than just a, you know, there's a click track. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I generally, yeah, sometimes I'll start with like acoustic noodling or whatever, depending on what the vibe of the thing is, but some, yeah, sometimes I'll start straight in the, in the DAW. I mean, I did, um, a track for Hades primordial chaos where that was like really synth based and I knew it was going to be. So that's where I went first, you know, was, was, um, trying to, to, cause I knew I wanted to use like a different palette of instruments than, than for the rest of the stuff. Cause this is this sort of weird out there character, um, that's cosmic and represents, you know, a whole sort of different swath of things that are represented in the rest of the game. So, um, so yeah, that one is, it was like a straight into the DAW, uh, kind of thing. And then of course I added, added guitars and stuff, but that's mostly for like, effects you know in that particular piece yeah do you have certain instruments or sounds that you associate with feelings i mean i think yeah definitely sounds i mean i feel like some instruments have an implication i think sort of inherently based on how i've heard them all my life like the harpsichord or something for example it has sort of built in it just feels like fancy you know it feels like (laughs) you know high class regal, whatever. Um, so, uh, but also sort of precious, you know what I mean? It's like both of those things. So, so, um, so there are certain instruments for sure that, that have that built in implication to me, but, but, you know, uh, generally I, I, yeah. And I, and definitely I catalog, I like, I, I catalog sounds that feel a specific way. Um, I really, draw a lot of inspiration from like sort of moments in songs like 
from more of like a production focused standpoint than anything else. Like, you know, when I was working on transistor, for example, you know, I, I, I knew that there were like parts of the okay computer album by Radiohead that I really, that, that had the exact feel in terms of like the emotional feel that I think that I want to try and achieve somehow. And so I'll hear moments in songs where like, oh, this is, I'm really, this is the purest form of this feeling. Why, why am I feeling this way? And try to sort of reverse engineer that feeling and, and do something, uh, you know, of, of my own with that. Um, you know, the sort of moment when, uh, exit music for a film kind of explodes into the like filthy bass. It's like this quiet, beautiful acoustic first part. And then it just kind of has that filthy drum fill into this like, disgusting filthy bass part it's just like so real, real talk right here i've actually never heard that album oh wow that's uh i recommend it i re- it's very easy to rectify they can just go on the internet and <laughs> so you mentioned in so i watched your magfest 2017 live show which is fantastic oh, thanks. you thanked ashley for singing a song that you wrote so high you mentioned that <laughs> So when you wrote the song, when you, yeah, when you wrote them, did you do all the arrangement and harmony writing as well? Or was there a certain measure of collaboration with Ashley? Uh, usually the way it works is I'll come with like a full thing that I'll demo. I'll sing, you know, sometimes I'll do it in a different key and I'll sing it and then I'll transpose it for her. Um, or sometimes <laughs> if I can, sometimes I'll just do it in the intended key. Um, and yeah, so, so, so definitely she'll have, you know, sometimes there'll be like a thing here or there and we'll, she'll have suggestions in the ways that we can, you know, jazz up the, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the melody a little bit, but, but I, in generally, in, in general, I, I come, I sort of bring it as fully baked as I can, um, uh, uh, when Ashley gets involved. So your music kind of paints this picture of old, vivid, fantasy literature and it kind of reminds me of something like fleet foxes do you know who mm-hmm. they are are you a fan yeah. of them yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah definitely, definitely heard that, that, that first, first album a bunch, bunch for sure, sure yeah. yeah yeah they're a classic i uh, i really like them and uh I, I i see them as someone that who can really paint vivid uh worlds almost like what you would read in old literature mm-hmm. without it sounding trite and I, mm-hmm. I see that in your music too so i awesome. think it's, it's cool um how much liberty, I guess, do you have with the directors of games? Like, how much autonomy do you have to take an idea and run with it? Is there a lot of back and forth, or is it mostly like, Darren, do your thing? Well, you know, I, I have a pretty unique um, position, I think, in that I am the audio director. I'm full-time at Supergiant Games. And so the person that I need to convince of my idea is basically me. Like, you know, the as a composer... You know, if I were sort of contracting on a project, I would, if, if, you know, probably be interfacing with some sort of audio director or creative director. Um, so, so I'm in a pretty unique position where, you know, I'm on team and sort of in general, that kind of stuff, I, I'm pretty autonomous. Um, I'm able to sort of, if I think something will be cool, I'm able to just sort of try it and see if it's cool and, and evaluate it myself. And, and of course I'll ask for, for feedback. Um, and sort of bounce ideas off of other members of the team. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty lucky in that I get to sort of whatever my 
crazy notion is I get to kind of pursue that uh, without having to uh, get permission first, generally. That's awesome. So I heard you mention in that show that I mentioned the, the 2017 MAGFest show that you have a son. So I also have a two-year-old son. And mm-hmm. as you know, life is very busy and we have to be super intentional about our time. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people like me who I have a day job, but I really enjoy composition and would love to do it more and maybe get paid for it eventually? Yep. People like me in my position uh, or really any creative type, someone who wants to make their creative a, a, a career uh, for basically managing their time, their schedule, while also maintaining a healthy family life and, and producing art? I know that's, a, that's kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> yeah. Um, any thoughts that you have from, from your experience on, on being a creative and having a family, you know, would be. That's a tricky one. Um, you know, before I had a kid, I was able, the stakes were a lot lower, you know, and I had a lot more free time. So I was able to just sort of pursue whatever. And, and my, my day didn't really have to be as structured. I could stay up till three in the morning if I had an idea and I could just do that and it would be fine. And I get sleep till 10 or 11 and it was no big deal. You know, when you have a kid that all changes, you know, you're sort of beholden to a normal person's schedule. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, it's not as easy. Uh, even I, I'd imagine even without, even without a day job, you know, if the the creative stuff is your day job, like for myself, you know, I don't have, you know, it's hard for me. I mean, I'm sure one could, but it's hard for me to make extra time to like pursue a lot of, you know, things outside of, outside of what I'm doing when I'm working. Um, you know, so, so cause just because, I mean, you can obviously put things, balance things however you want in your life, but, um, you know, so that's, that's a trick. Um, I, I think something that has helped me is, you know, just sort of designating hours of the day where these are the hours where I am doing, you know, this type of work, creative work, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe you, you designate, this is the time, you know, after my son goes to bed from this time to this time, I do the, for me project, you know, whatever it is, you know, and, um, that's something that I think you just carving out a slice of your schedule, um, to dedicate to that, I think is probably, probably a good way to go. Just, um, just because anything you want to, you want to improve at or pursue in a, in a serious way, just sort of carving out a place, uh, in your life for it is, is a good, is a good idea. Sort of figuring out, nooks and crannies that you can sort of slide that slide that into you know did your son have an opinion on your music yeah no he yeah he's he likes it he he's really into like dance music right now for some reason like he's like a he's five yeah he's like there's this station this radio station it's like an hd radio station i guess called evolution and it's all just like EDM stuff and like DJs and like marshmallow and whatever. And he's like super into that right now. <laughs> so, so that's cool. It's like that. It's not like what I do. Sometimes what stuff that I do is just like, so he likes, he likes some of it more than, 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 uh, than others. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, that's his, that's his thing right now is the EDM. <laughs> Maybe at age six, he'll be into jazz and then age seven, he'll be into, you know, Afro pop. And then maybe by eight, yeah. he'll be back into, yeah, he's already gone. 
through a wide, you know, when he was little, little, like, um, two and three and stuff, like he'd listen to like rush and whatever. Like I, he was listening to all sorts of, you know, like that was cool. But now he's, you know, he's like, likes pop music and EDM stuff, stuff that I'm not as crazy about, which, which is totally, you know, more power to him. He's, <laughs> Okay, cool, man. Well, this is the lightning round. So in this lightning round, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you a few questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops into your head. Does that sound yep. good? Sure. Okay, here we go. If you could collaborate with one artist, living or dead, who would it be? Tenacious D. Really? Yeah, that was so fast. <laughs> I thought about that before. <laughs> I mean, I love Tenacious D just as much as the next guy, but yep. that's, that's pretty great. <laughs> what about Tenacious D? I got to dig into this a little bit. I... I love, I love today's D I've been a huge fan since I was, you know, in high school and, and even, you know, when their HBO show, I was probably, I wasn't even high school yet when their HBO show was on, but, um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of Jack Black. I think their stuff is both hilarious and also excellent, like really good. Like <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, it walks that line super well. And, uh, I just think it'd be fun, be a lot of fun. I, I have a sort of silly streak that I don't get to express in the music a lot so um so that would be that would be fun for me well you know just hanging out with jack black would be fantastic <laughs> yeah it'd be fun yeah so have you seen his gaming channel on youtube i have <laughs> um, yes i'm just blinsky games yes blinsky i'm a fan the best oh, by the way jack black and i share a birthday i'm a huge oh, nice as well so that's an interesting little factoid but tenacity is amazing yeah okay here we go i know you're a beatles fan abbey road or rubber soul abbey road okay why abbey road it's one of my favorite albums. I mean, I think that that album is like top to bottom. The flow of the album is insane. It's perfect. Sort of, it's pretty perfect. Yeah. I mean, even with Octopus's Garden, which is like fine. For, right. You know, it's like right. not one. Yeah. Of, it's fine. It's like Ringo gets a song in every album. Yeah, we'll, give you, we'll give you a Ringo song. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, it, it just, it, it, yeah, it's like, it's probably the best, like, I think it might be the best sounding Beatles record. Like the, sort of sonically it's produced so well they were really like doing crazy stuff with the format and some of the production and and then even more recently like i've always loved that album but like learning about the circumstances under which it was made so insane like the band was broken up when they made that album like george harrison had already quit and they were they were recording let it be george harrison quit and then and then they agreed to like make another album together just like one last hurrah and like it was that and then you know yeah it's just mind-blowing i mean it has some of my favorite beatles songs on it and then also just the flow of the whole thing is insane and that side b that like 17 minute medley is just like it's it's perfect yeah and something why did they why did they release let it be afterwards even though it was recorded before i feel like that was such a bad way to they hadn't finished it they hadn't finished Mm-hmm. They hadn't finished it. Yeah. So, so like they did a bunch of the work on it and they were trying to like, I mean, I think the approach was to try to record an album more in a more a way. It was more live, like kind of going back to their roots a little bit. That was a, a thing for let it be, I think. And so they just didn't, basically they just kind of didn't finish it. And then I think like Phil Spector and Paul McCartney went in and like just kind of finished, finished the rest of it as far, as far as I know. Um, but yeah, man, that, the uh, let it be, uh, let it be, you know, has some cool stuff, great songs on there for sure. But, um, but, but Abbey Road is, that is a wonderful album. It is an absolutely 
perfect album. I mean, I, yeah. it's it's hard to find a flaw in it. Um, okay, Robert Johnson or Jeff Buckley? Jeff Buckley. I love Robert Johnson too, but but Jeff Buckley's just like his. There was nobody like that dude. That guy's got his own. He's just got his whole. Yeah, he had his own thing, and he was yeah one of the, one of the most incredible vocalists I've ever heard in my life. And and his uh, the way he was able to uh, express himself vocally was pretty. The way he was able to emote was just like nobody nobody else could really do that. Or I've never I've never really heard anybody else do that the same way he did. Bjork or Imogen Heap? Oh God, oh, that's a hard choice. Um, me like a while ago would have said Bjork, but me now is saying Imogen Heap. Um, I love them both, but Imogen Heap, like, speak for yourself, is like one of the most incredible albums. That album's so good, and then also uh, Fru Fru. That that album is inc- you know that project is is incredible. So yeah, I mean she 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 is doing some like weird out there cool stuff and her songwriting is remarkable and her production is remarkable just like the fact that she does everything and it's so good and so insane like she's produces plays everything i mean it's um yeah i have a lot of a lot of respect for her i mean bjork's bjork stuff's incredible too i mean but i'm 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 sort of more hot and cold on bjork's material generally than i am on image and heap stuff like i love some bjork stuff and i'm like fine with with other bjork stuff but like, um, like, I don't know that there's like an entire Bjork album that I love all of it. You know, like I love parts of homogenic and I love parts of Vespertine and I love, you know, but, but, um, but, uh, image and heap is, is amazing. I, I, one of the coolest concerts I've ever seen actually was Bjork. Um, it was right after Vespertine came out and she was playing with the Icelandic string octet and a harpist and and it was like outside in San Francisco. It was at Pier 32. The sun was going down. And then like they played a few tunes. And then they started playing uh, yoga from Homogenic, which is one of my favorite Bjork t- tunes. And then like the sun is just set. They get to the chorus, which is like soaring and amazing. And like fireworks shoot up into the sky. It was just like, as like I was like 17 or something. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, this is yeah 19 i don't know how old i was it, yeah it was just it blew my mind and i'm seeing image and heat for the first time uh next month so very excited That's awesome i had a buddy that just saw her on her tour right now and he said it was yeah. out of this world so i think I, a great time i can't wait yeah i'm so excited so okay we haven't talked much about other video games so i'm curious do you mm-hmm. have uh what are your top three favorite video game soundtracks of all time it's a tough question, question. um in terms, in terms of, of <laughs> like, like how, how important, important they were to me, I would, uh, I would say like, like uh, Marble Madness, Madness for, the for the NES. NES. Nice. It's a big one. one. Um, that, that one was just like, like really made an impact, impact on me as a kid. kid. Um, um, and it was, it was just super weird. weird. So, that so that was, was interesting, interesting <laughs> to me. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy the, the soundtrack for, for Dungeon Keeper, the original. Um, that It's super cool. It's like it's so interesting because it's part sound design, almost part, part like industrial, like spooky, crazy. It's like really interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I, I remember taking the CD ROM of that game and like burning it 
without the first track, which is the game. The game is on the first track and then all the the music is on all the other tracks. I burned it to a CD and I just like listened to the Dungeon Keeper music in my car, like, you know, driving around, listening to this spooky, like weird industrial uh, video game music as, as a teenager. But um, so that game, yeah, that, that game had some super, super rad music. Gosh. And then maybe Fallout 2. Um, those are some deep cuts. I like that. Yeah, those are all really important games to me for one reason or another. And and Fallout Two, I just played so much, and I thought the music was like it had like a really specific, interesting vibe um, that really, really helped you know reinforce what the world was and the tone of it and everything. And it, it was this really specific setting that was sort of heavily influenced by stuff like road warrior, but also had its own sort of 1950s aesthetic thing. And it just kind of mashed all that stuff up in such a cool way. Um, so yeah, I, I specifically fallout two, cause that's the one I, I played the most, uh, fallout one I like, and is amazing. Um, but fallout two is the one that like I played like 20 times or something, you know what I mean? Like start to finish. I played it over and over and over and over again. I did my every kind of character build you could possibly do. And I made, made all the different choices, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to explore every nook and cranny of that game just cause I was so blown away by the world and, and how committed they were to allowing you a, like really a lot of different paths through the game, like you, how you could really sort of not be great at combat and get through, you know, like be good at other stuff and have have that get you through the game. And that was sort of mind blowing to me at the time. Do you uh, speak kind of going back to present day? Do you see any composers or got your eye on any composers that you think are doing some cool stuff, either indie or triple A? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Austin Wintry makes incredible music. Uh, he's a friend of mine and I, I love his work. Uh, I think one of my favorites of his is Abzu. Um, it's so the music in that game is incredible. And, uh, yeah, he does great stuff. And Will Roger, uh, he is, yeah, he's, he's so talented. Um, he did the, you know, I, I ended up, I'm not really into the call of duty games generally, but, but I played the call of duty world war two and his score for that is crazy. It's so interesting and so good. And like, I love that it's a Call of Duty game with no drums and no, it's like all, it's just like a string quintet with like some other stuff a little bit. It's like, it's like really interesting and it's super cool. Um, and he's doing the music for the new Mortal Kombat that just came out or did it. So I, I haven't checked that out yet. I, I want to, but, uh, yeah, he's super talented. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people. I mean, I, I like Danny Bernowski's stuff that he does and I, um, gosh i'm leaving off a bunch of interesting people but you know there's a ton <laughs> do you have a uh, favorite piece of gear or plug-in something that you can't live without it could be physical or digital one of my favorite toys is a casio sk1 which is a, a little physical it's a, it's a sampling keyboard from the 80s and it's like a little toy essentially it's got like two octaves maybe and you can like press a button and sing into it and, and it'll have a, and you know, I've, I've used it only a little, only started using it really on, on Hades for the, for the game stuff. But, but I've, I've loved playing with it over the years and it's got such a, I've done some writing with it and it's got such an interesting, just kind of 
kind of <laughs> cheesy sound that you can that you can if you massage it just right it actually sounds pretty rad i use it a lot on hades for like there's like a theremin like sort of melody over a lot of the hades stuff and i'm using that for that sound you know put through amps and effects and stuff like that um and that's really fun i really as far as plugins go i really love the i love the um mellotron yes they have a fantastic mellotron plugin sort of built into logic nowadays that they introduced and i think logic x it's fantastic i use it all the time i use it like all the time that's wonderful i started using it on pyre and i just like i don't know how i because that's when that software came out you know <laughs> and i was just like well i don't know how i've lived without this this is great <laughs> one thing i love about logic so much is, is and i'm a pc i'm on a pc now but i used to use Macs. but yeah. what i love about logic is just all the free instruments they give you it's insane so good. Adding. They're, so good. they're really good i mean that's that's one of the things i love about it too is that like it comes so powerful like out of the box it's great and it's so um, pretty it's just such a pretty piece of software to use yeah it works it just works you know that my, my favorite thing about using logic is just how quickly i'm able to get from idea to hearing the idea the path between those things is the shortest i've been able to find on any piece of software for me for the way i like to work um so yeah, I used to use Pro Tools and I've tried Digital Performer and I've tried Reaper and I've tried other stuff over the years, but but nothing for me has the sort of ease of like the, the least friction between, you know, brain and hearing it, uh, uh, how you want to hear it as, as Logic does. Well, man, well, last question of the lightning round and I really appreciate mm -hmm. you taking out the time to chat. This has been really fun. Um, yeah, for sure. If you were in a career besides game audio, what do you think you'd be doing? I mean, I think I'd probably be doing songwriting of some sort or, or music production in some other way, um, is my guess. Um, no music. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Maybe, um, maybe, uh, like, like a video production potentially. Um, cause that, that was sort of my, before I got into recording, <laughs> that was my sort of other concurrent, uh, passion was, was like making movies for fun and editing and all that stuff. I, so I, I still sort of make our trailers, you know, I edit, I edit our trailers and stuff. And that's, that's a, like once, once every year or two, I get to stretch that, stretch out those muscles and, and do that again. And it's a lot of fun. Hey guys, um, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Darren. I really hope it was helpful. Um, really love talking with him and I got the feeling we could geek out about the Beatles and folk music for quite some time. I want to do something a little different here and I want to take just a few minutes and talk to you guys about the future of Composer Code. So um, I am going to be indefinitely pausing the... Uh, production of Composer Code. That doesn't mean that I will never have another guest on. That doesn't mean that I will not uh, meet new composers and maybe see if they want to be on the show, but I will not be sticking to any sort of schedule. Um, I will not be pursuing new composers to speak with on the podcast. Um, 
There are a few reasons for that, and I'll just kind of go into those really quickly. The first is that there are a lot of uh, changes happening in my life. Um, I recently uh, accepted a position as a full-time music director at my church. And uh, for those of you who know me, know this is something I'm passionate about, um, to be able to um, serve in a church, but also do music full-time. I will be transitioning from my job in the corporate world, which is totally different than what I'll be doing. Um, So there's just going to be a lot of change in my life, and I'm trying to sort of um, wrap up any extraneous projects so I can fully focus on this new transition. Um, and the second reason that um, uh, that I am sort of pausing Composer Code is, you know, I love uh, speaking with composers and I love hearing their stories and I love hearing their processes. Um, but there are, have been a certain number of patterns that have emerged. You know, I when I, it's crazy when I look back on my interviews, I mean, I've I've spent like 25 hours talking with with composers and and even more time, you know, researching them and editing the podcast and doing questions and it's just crazy how many people I've met and like lifetime friends I've made through this show. It's just it's amazing. Um and You know, there are things that I feel like people should know, um, composers should know, uh, little bits of wisdom that are buried in those, you know, 25 hours of audio that aren't usually the easiest thing to just like direct someone toward if I wanted to just give them a condensed version of everything I know and everything I've learned about being a composer. So I've thought about it and I'm going to take all the transcriptions of these interviews. I'm going to uh, really study them and I'm going to distill them down into the uh, essential things that you need to know to be successful as a game composer. And I think I'm going to try my hand at at making a a course, like a Udemy course or uh, some other course I might you know, sell on Gumroad for a very modest price. I know that us composers are, you know, don't have a lot of discretionary income. Um, so I want to be sensitive to that. But um, I just feel like there's so much here. Uh, and in a sense, I almost want to conclude this podcasting chapter of my life by by giving that, giving that information to the community, just putting that out to um to anyone and everyone who wants to make this this whole composing thing more of a a career for them um so that's what i'll be working on and um man i just uh i just want to thank you so much uh i know there's so many of you i haven't met but um i based on the stats several people uh, at least a few people are listening to this and i just uh, i want to thank you and i want to thank my patrons you know i want to thank 8-Bit Music Theory, who's been just incredibly encouraging and an amazing friend to me, um, who's who's supported the podcast both financially and uh, just, you know, uh, with encouragement. Um, I want to thank Captain Crockett, Derek Wayne, K. Noah K., Miguel, who's been an incredible friend. He's not even a composer, but he's... Uh, someone who values art. And so I, um, he's a dear friend of mine. So thank you. 
uh, Nomura Tour, you know who you are. I don't know if you want me to say your name because you use that pseudonym, but you know I love you too. Uh, Reuven uh, Reuter, Scott Harper, William Horsland, who's a really nice guy, Wolfgang, and Zamka, who also is a super nice person. I'm not sure if you're a male or female, actually, but you uh, you always leave very encouraging comments, and so I thank you. It's been a fun run, guys. Um, this also means that I will be shutting down my Patreon just because there's not a lot of expenses that I'm going to need anymore, and I feel like the 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 uh, the Patreon has served its purpose in um in keeping the uh keeping the website up and giving me a little side income and hopefully this course can um that I'm going to be putting together here can sort of cover the hosting expenses so that I can keep composer code ad free and um and online for anyone and everyone to listen to so again guys thank you so much and I don't know what else to say. I suck at goodbyes. Uh, reach out to me, kenyon.mad at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter, Matt Kenyon Music. Just search for me on Facebook, Matt Kenyon. Drop me a, a DM. And uh, let's be friends. You guys are the best. And I hope this podcast has been helpful for you and will continue to be helpful for composers in years to come. All right. We'll talk soon.